bringing the message today, and he wants you to know about the series Deeper starting next week. He's going to dive deeper into discipleship and what that looks like for us. You don't want to miss it. We're celebrating some baptisms that happened this week on the Hill. What a great moment when Jennifer and her mother, Georgia, were baptized together and Kendra was baptized by her friend, Jessica.
this morning. Sorrow and dead in my sin, lost without hope, with no place to begin. Love made a way to let mercy come in. Death was arrested, my life began. Ash was redeemed, only beauty remained. Was given a name. The morning grew quiet, my feet rose to dance. When death was arrested, my life began. Oh, your grace, so free, washes
may be seated. Cool, and it's been happening so much lately, uh, but I'm excited about this. Darby uh, stepped up uh, Friday night and said, I'm ready, let's do this, let's do this. And uh, I've, I've known Vince for over 20 years. I coached him when he was 10 years old or nine years old, something like that, playing baseball and known the Walkers ever since then and love the family. And uh, I'm just so excited about this commitment today. Uh, they're getting married in about eight weeks or something like that. And I just, and what a way to start. What a way to start. <laughs> Jason was just about giving them a hard time because neither one of them really liked being in front of a crowd. And so they picked a small day to do this. All right. You know, like, so like, uh, let's jump in big. All right. So, hey guys, just join hands with me. And I just want you to gather, uh, repeat these words after me. I believe. I believe. That Jesus is the Christ. That Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the Living God. The Son of the Living God. And I accept Him. And I accept Him. It's my Lord and Savior. It's my Lord and Savior. That's awesome. Vince, we'll baptize you first, and you get to help me baptize Darby, all right? Vince, because of that confession, I'm going to baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, for the forgiveness of all your sins, the gift of eternal life. a lot of courage. I'm so proud of you. And so because of your confession of faith, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit for forgiveness of all your sins. Gift the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm Bobby Woods, the discipleship pastor here at Shelby Christian, and I love seeing such a great crowd this morning. Aren't you here to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ? I was reading this week about a Muslim who had converted to Christianity, and he took a whole lot of grief from his family and from his culture just by switching sides, in a sense, to Christianity. And he was asked by his family, why would you do such a thing? And he said, well, it's kind of like a man walking down a road he's never been on before. And he comes to a fork in the road. And on one side is a dead man. And on the other side is a man who's alive. Which should you follow? The man who is alive. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And this morning as we celebrate communion, we have communion stations all over. We practice open communion here. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, we we invite you to come and to share in communion with us. Being reminded of the elements, the the two cups on the bottom is a little piece of bread, reminds us of the body of Jesus that was broken. And on top is the juice, reminds us of of the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for each and every one of you. So as we celebrate communion this morning, be reminded of the sacrifice, but most of all, be remembered, he is risen. Let's pray together. Father God, we just praise you this morning. And Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit would just fall upon this place. Father, that you would continue to anoint Stu and the worship team as they bring us closer into your presence. Father, I pray that you would anoint Pastor Dave as he comes and brings your message this morning as well. Oh, Father, I'm so reminded of your words, which says, while we were still sinners, your son died for us. And that is why we celebrate this morning. 
celebrate the resurrection of your son. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen.
praise the Lord of Lords. Amen. Bless you this morning. You can see it. Realize we do this every Sunday, right? Just checking, just checking, just checking. All right? Man, man, it is such awesome. God is doing so many awesome, awesome things around us. And because I believe, I believe in a wonder working God. I believe it because of all the miracles I've seen. I mean, we're seeing life change all the time. And because of all those miracles of people changing their lives, he's too good to not believe. This is too good to not believe. How do you believe in that kind of God today? And if you don't right now, I hope you do in a little while. I hope we're going to help that journey a little bit farther, move the needle a little bit farther in that direction of believing in a wonder-working God. There's an interesting phenomenon that takes place at a lot of high school and college ball games anymore. It, it happens in the student section, and what will happen is one of the students will stand up in front of those other students, and they'll just yell out, I believe. And some of y'all know. <laughs> I was really counting on this service and next service to know where I was going with this, all right? So, yeah, I believe. And then the whole student section will yell, I believe. And then, and then that person will yell, I believe that we. I believe and then they'll yell, I believe that we will win. And, and then they start jumping up and down. Where are you at? <laughs> but they go on and they go on and they go on. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. I believe that we will win. And it's, it's, it's really cool. Except... I, last season, I thought of something. They all, not always, but almost always, that cheer starts in the fourth quarter when a team is up by 20. <laughs> Why weren't you cheering that the moment they threw the ball up in the air or kicked it off? Like, if you really believe in your team, that should be the, like the first thing that you start doing when the game starts. I believe that we will win. I will believe that we will win. Because by the time you're up by 20 in the fourth quarter, I know, you know, it's fact. It's going to happen. What, what would it look like? What would it look like if God followers kind of got the idea, yeah, every moment of every day when I get up, I believe that we will win. I believe that we, what would it take to believe in it? I think sometimes we don't cheer for our teams because we're not really sure we do believe until the game is decided, until the game is over. We've, we've been in this series for eight weeks now, leading up to Easter, that we've been calling uh, Straight Off the Hill. And we've, we've climbed all these hills, a lot of them in the Old Testament. And we've talked about the things that happened on top of those hills and how important it was for the people that went up those hills to learn lessons that they could take down off the hill and share with the people around them. And for us then, when we come to worship here on the hill, that we're learning lessons that we can take off the hill and we can make a difference. Well, we need to climb one more hill. We need to climb one more hill. And, and quite honestly, it starts off as a, as a tough hill. It's the hill of hope and assurance. And so today, really what I want to talk to you about is the biggest problem with winning. The biggest problem that we'll ever have with winning in life is we're losers. It's us. It's us. We're sinners. We sin. We sin. And and that sin itself makes us losers. It's the greatest problem in your life. 
You might think your greatest problem is not having enough money. You might think your greatest problem is being too heavy or too skinny. Or you might think your greatest problem is, your greatest problem is sin. That is the thing that will haunt you and destroy you well beyond this life if we don't figure it out. Sin, sometimes it's not a big deal. Like, okay, I told a lie. Big deal. Big deal. No, sin is the biggest deal. Sin is the biggest deal because of the results of that sin. I heard a story told, uh, a friend of mine told me a story about a friend of his who's a preacher that had a lady in his church, and this is several years ago, when I give you the dollar figures, you'll go, oh yeah, that's several years ago. But there was a lady in his church that got sick, just like out of nowhere, otherwise healthy, and she got sick. She ends up in the hospital, and just in a matter of a a week or less, her her hospital bill that she owes $80,000. Fast forward now, it's probably $8 million. But anyway, for the sake of this, it was $80,000 that she owed and like I don't, we don't know what we're going to do that and here's what the husband said to the preacher he said we, re- we don't really know why she is sick but when you run up $80,000 in doctor bills you know something is seriously wrong okay yeah we get it you look at the bill you, you know it's serious I need to show you the bill for your sin it, it's hard to look at I'm going to warn you ahead of time it's hard to look at, but here on the screen, this is the bill for your sin. If you've never seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ, you ought to watch it. This is a still picture from that movie, and it's hard to look at. The video is even harder because it's live action. It, it, it makes us understand what was going maybe though maybe it's hard for you to understand how Jesus' death nearly 2,000, 2000 years ago has anything to do with your sin, your shame. But the Bible's really clear. He paid the price for all of our sins and by his wounds we, we are healed. That, that costs a lot. That's serious. So the reality is I'm the problem. You're the problem. Our sin is the problem. And it doesn't sound like when we lay that out or when we look at these pictures, it doesn't sound like we can win. But there is a solution. Jesus is the solution to our sin problem. Today, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15. A lot of times you might think, uh, well, on Easter Sunday, we're going to go to the Gospels. We're going to look at the God. Well, we are, but we're just going to do it the way Paul did. Paul, in 1 Corinthians 15, reminds people of the Gospel message, all right? And, and here's how he starts. In verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15, says, Now, brothers, I want to, here's the word, remind you of the Gospel, of the good news that I preached to you, which you received and uh, on which you have taken your stand. By this Gospel you are saved, and if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. Now, how big a fan are you? How big a fan are you? Are you the fan that wants to show up at the Yum Center or at Rupp Arena 
or Kroger Field or Cardinal Stadium or wherever, whatever, you know, you know, All-American. Are you the fan that wants to show up when they're on a winning streak? Or are you the fan that's going to show up no matter what and cheer for your team? It, you know, it, it, it's amazing how we get conditioned to be front runners. To when things are going well, man, yeah, 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 I'm on board. And, you know, then when it gets tough, it's all in vain. Go on to the next slide. It says, for what I received, this is Paul Tom, for what I've received, uh, I passed on to you as of first importance, greatest importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, that he raised on the third day according to scriptures. That's amazing stuff right there. Guys, let me go ahead and jump ahead and give you the bottom line for this morning. You're going to hear it a whole bunch, but let me give it to you right now. The bottom line is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the greatest events in the history of the world because sin is our greatest problem. Here's where I I want to be sure we don't land today, okay? It's Easter. It's Easter. There, there was probably, as you were getting ready this morning, as you were driving in, there's probably a bunch of thoughts. Okay, here's where today's going. Here's what we're going to talk about. And here's what, and, and, and you've been through, uh, who knows how many Easter's. And there, the, the, the temptation is, yeah, I know. I know. Got this. Got this. I know where he's going. And so the temptation is, because we know the story so well, we take it for granted. This is one of the hardest things for a pastor. You know, Easter is awesome and it's great, but like every year it's like, what did I say this year? That's different than last year. Same thing at Christmas. Like, there's only so only so many ways we can get Jesus into a stable. You know, like it's 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 the same. And, And so the temptation is, oh yeah, I got this. And therein lies part of our problem is we take so many things in life for granted that we don't understand the beauty and the significance of them. What is the most popular verse of scripture in all the Bible? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. We know it that well. And when we're going through it that well in our mind, we miss the fact that God loved us so much that he gave his only son what we're talking about today so that whoever none of this stuff that only a few are picked and chosen and they're the only ones no whoever whoever chooses to believe in him can have salvation and eternal life and but, but it's it's so it's it's so knowledgeable so common we take it for granted don't do that with easter Don't do that with Easter. Because believe me, if we understand that sin is our greatest problem, then we realize why Easter is the greatest event in all of history. If we understand that that our sin separates us from God, then we can't help but understand that Easter is important. It's the greatest event in history. And so it's important to understand why Paul said here in this verse we read, why he talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Because Jesus' death paid for our sins. We went. We went. Now, it's like the $80,000 doctor bill, though. Somebody had to pay. Somebody had to pay the bill. 
The bill for our sin was death and Jesus paid the bill. And, and it's ironic because Jesus paid the bill for our sins and the Bible tells all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. But then Jesus, while he was here, he said, okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be ye perfect even as I am perfect. How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that? Go out and be perfect. Now, we just got out of March Madness. You know what I know? I know that this of all those teams that were in March Madness of every shot that was ever taken with the with the simple exception possibly of at the end of a game and a player needs to miss a free throw with the hope that they can get the rebound and get two points instead of one other than that scenario every player on every team in the men's tournament in the women's tournament in the lower divisions or every player tries to make every shot and why else would you play the game if you weren't trying to be perfect? And in basketball anymore, if you shoot anything above 40%, you make all-star teams. In baseball, if you're 30%, you make the Hall of Fame. But Jesus said, be perfect. Be perfect. But the Bible says that all of us have sinned. None of us are perfect. But our goal should still be striving for perfection because what God says is, you be perfect, you be perfect, and I'll take care of the rebounds. When you miss, I'll take care of it. I'll be there for you. I've got your back. And so we strive to be perfect. But when we're not, the reality is, all is sin and falling short of the glory of God. And then Paul goes on and like jumps on top of that and says, and the wages of that sin is death. Wait a minute, I'm supposed to be perfect, but I can't be perfect. And when I'm not perfect and I sin, I'm going to die. That's, yeah, that's, that's, that's basically it. Except Jesus came to take care of that last part. Jesus came to be the Savior for an imperfect world, for a world that is messed up. It started when he was born. Look, look what the Bible says when, when the night that Jesus was born and the angels start singing and they're singing, unto you is born this day in the city of David a what? A Savior. That is one who cleans up in perfection, takes care of the wrongs that we have done. A Savior who is Christ the Lord, all right? And, and, and then 30 years later, 30 years later, he's kind of starting his ministry. And this guy named John, who happened to be Jesus' cousin, he's already out there ahead of Jesus. And he's already out there preaching that Jesus is going to come. And one day he's preaching and he looks up while he's preaching. And here comes Jesus walking down the road. And John stops dead in his tracks. And he says... Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus is. Jesus lived a sinless life. And because he lived a sinless life, he's the only person that's ever walked on planet Earth that didn't deserve to die. Because death is the result of sin. If Jesus didn't sin, he didn't deserve to die. And so when he did, he chose to. He laid down his life as a ransom for me and for you. Max Lucado said the cross is where God forgave his children without lowering his standards. Jesus paid the bill. Jesus paid the bill for my sin. Think of it this way. We all got different stuff, right? We all got different stuff that falls under that big category of sin. So that means that Jesus paid for lust. Jesus paid for greed. 
Jesus paid for pride. Jesus paid for, fill in the blank with whatever your stuff is. That Jesus paid for it. And so we have to know and understand that forgiveness always costs something. Forgiveness is never free. We're supposed to freely give, but there's a price in that forgiveness. And, but here's the deal. And forgiveness, the price is paid by the one forgiving, not the one being forgiven. If, if you borrow $100 from me today, and never pay me back or I say don't worry about it that didn't cost you anything did it, it cost me a hundred dollars if, if I were to insult you or do something and hurt your feelings my smart aleck tongue got in my way before my brain kicked in and I said something that was really hurtful and you chose to forgive me and move on you're giving up your right to get even. You're give, forgiveness always costs something. The writer of Hebrews said it this way. He said, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. That's in the Old Testament when they'd sacrifice animals. And then they'd sprinkle the blood from the sacrificed animal and send another animal off into the wilderness because that symbolized the forgiveness, the, the blood covering the sins of the people. And God says that sin brings death. Therefore, sin has to be forgiven or death must occur. And for it to be forgiven, a death must occur. And Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the greatest events in history because our sin is our greatest problem. Jesus paid the price. Now, I, can, I, I understand. I understand in 1 Corinthians 15 why the Apostle Paul uh, lands so much on death and resurrection and how they are of first importance. I get that. But, but why does he list the burial as a matter of first importance? I mean, don't you typically bury dead people? Now, what's the big deal? But the burial of Jesus is pivotal. It's pivotal. Because there are all kinds of theories that have swirled around throughout all the centuries concerning Jesus' death and the whole concept of a resurrection being a hoax. The, the, the biggest theory that's out there that is thrown around all the time is what is known as the swoon theory. And it states that Jesus never died. Jesus never ever died and they when they got done beating him and everything like that and they took him off the cross and they put him in the tomb he was just unconscious and, and while he was in there in the tomb he woke up and so he never died so there was never any resurrection and there are so many problems in that so many problems with that here's one of the problems see this big old stone that's a problem if you're a suddenly revived, passed out, beaten up, bruised, swollen guy, and they've got a multi-hundred pound stone in front of where it is that you need to get out, that's a problem. You die. You die and we have a service in here. We think you're dead. We have a service in here and you, we put you in a casket and we close the casket and we take it out to the cemetery and we put it in the ground and we put a bunch of dirt over it and three days later you wake up. You got a problem. You got a big problem. 
Jesus just, oh, he was a little dizzy. Yeah, I'm guessing. (laughs) See, here's reality. If they had done to Jesus what we know historically that they did to Jesus, and he hadn't died, that may have been the biggest miracle of it all. They beat him to death. They ran a spear in his side. The man was dead. So Paul reminding them of the burial is hugely significant. This man died. And he was buried. But it wasn't the end of the story. Jesus' resurrection guarantees our victory. We win. We win. Apparently back in 1980, there was a tomb that was discovered to the southeast of Jerusalem, a little bit out of town. And in that tomb, there were 10 ossuaries or burial boxes, all of which containing bones. And written on the side of one of the boxes was the name Mary. And on another box was the name Joseph. And on yet another box was the name Jesus. And so suddenly it became thought and one documentary filmmaker named James Cameron really tried to build a case that this was the actual tomb of Christ and that these were Jesus' bones and that this tomb proves that he was a historical figure who is now dead and buried. And he spent a lot of time there, but there are so many holes in Cameron's theory And few archaeologists, if any, no historians even gave it the time of day as they heard it. Even even CBS News and the Wall Street Journal said he was crazy for trying to use this to debunk the claims of Christianity. But but here was what Cameron said. He actually suggested that the DNA evidence leaves little room for any doubt that this was Jesus. Really? I'm pretty sure we don't have any DNA samples of God. And, and he, he failed to remember one thing. that they, they did do what DNA tests you can do on bones that are 2,000 years old. Okay, But they did find some similarities between the Mary and Joseph and the body and the one that was marked Jesus. You know how common names... That was like saying, okay, here's Bob and Mary and Timmy. That, they're common names. I mean, how many Joseph, Marys, and Jesus were in there? And so when they did the DNA test, they said, okay, yeah, there's some, this proves that they were like parents and child. Here's another thing that Cameron forgot to factor into the equation. Jesus had none of Joseph's DNA. It wasn't part of the equation. So yeah, probably, probably those, those bodies were probably all related. Those bodies were all, probably all related. But not to the Messiah. Different tomb. Different family. Different time. Listen, there is no basis for the claim that Jesus is still in the tomb. Here's why. Christianity rises or falls. Maybe even I should say that Christianity lives or dies on whether or not Jesus is in the tomb. Because here's what, here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthians starting in verse 12. Look what he says in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians 15. 
if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Because if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. If that's where you land today, you're like, here's the deal. Sorry, you wasted time, wasted money on that nice outfit, and you wasted time getting up early this morning. And those people that were here at 8 o'clock, they were really crazy. They wasted a whole lot of time. If all this is in vain. If all of this is in vain. Christ had not been raised. Our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. So is our faith. Later in that chapter, Paul even says that Jesus was raised imperishable. In other words, he was raised never to die again. You know, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus raised some people when he was here. Multiple people, multiple stories that we have of Jesus raising people from Lazarus to others. We, we, you know, every one of those people Jesus raised, they died again. Some of, some of you may have had a near-death experience. You saw the light. Doctor, you were coated out, flatlined. It happens. And all of a sudden, you're back. Guess what? You're going to die. 100% accuracy in that. Any healing we have for anything that we go through here, cancer, heart disease, car wrecks, whatever it is that ends us up in the hospital in a bad shape, in a bad way, any healing we get from that is temporary at best. Because we're going to die. And therein lies the problem. Because of sin, there is death. We're all going to die. That creates a problem. When the women went to the tomb that early that Sunday morning for Jesus, they found that the stone was rolled away and there's an angel sitting. I love what the angel said. Like, what are y'all doing? Why are you looking for the living of, uh, among the dead? He ain't here. He's not here. And word began to spread. It wasn't long before Jesus appeared. A lot of people, Paul even told us that while he was here in the 40 days between the resurrection and the ascension back to heaven, over 500 people saw him. And, and could testify to that. And you know, I, we can't get three people to get their story straight. How are you going to get 500 people to have the same story? Unless it's real. Unless it's real. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the greatest events in history because sin is our greatest problem. See, all of Jesus' promises, forgiveness of sins, Hope of salvation, blessings of God, eternal life. They're all idle, worthless notions, except for one thing. Jesus rose from the dead. That changes everything. He rose from the dead to prove it. Here's the end of 1 Corinthians 15. Look at the end of it, verse 50, starting verse 55. Here's what Paul said to the people. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When Jesus rose from the grave, he proved that sin had been defeated, and death no longer had the final words. And if he could rise from the dead to live forever, so can you, so can I. So can anyone who chooses to believe in him. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the greatest events in history because sin is our greatest problem. And this was the answer to our greatest problem.
Donald Miller is an author, and he wrote a book a few years ago called Blue Like Jazz. And in the book, there's, all, there's a lot of great stories. Uh, but one of the stories he tells in the book is about a group of Navy SEALs. And if you don't know much about the military, it's like the Army Rangers, Navy SEALs. They're the guys that are the baddest of the baddest. And they're the guys that get sent into the really bad situation to try to, try to get things taken care of. And he tells a story about a group of Navy SEALs that were sent into place uh, to rescue some people who had been taken hostage, been taken prisoner. They'd been prisoners for several months. And they finally got all the things together and they went in and the Navy SEALs landed and they got there and they made their way into town. They made their way to the building. They actually walked into the room and they found these prisoners. And when they found these prisoners in the room, every one of them was in a fetal position in a corner or in a little spot in the room, just all curled up in a fetal position. They had been alone and hostage for months and they'd given up hope. And so the, the, the American Navy SEALs, they come into the room and they like, hey, we're Americans, we're here to save you, come on with us. And not a single prisoner moved. They'd given up hope. They thought this has to be some ruse and these are actually our captors and as soon as we stand up They're just going to shoot us or something like that They, they, they wouldn't move and the Americans said, come on. Come on. Come on. We got helicopters. We can get you to boat We'll get you home. Come on. Come on. Come on. And they wouldn't move Finally in a telling moment true story one of the Navy SEALs had an idea He laid his weapons down took off his ammo belt took off his helmet and removed anything that looked military and got down on the floor next to one of the men and curled up next to him like a parent would a child and just laid there occasionally pat him on the shoulder finally be able to look him in the eye and the other seals were like stunned but after what seemed like an eternity the navy seals stood up and said, will you follow me? And after a few seconds, that man that he'd been laying next to stood up. And then another one stood up. And another one stood up. Finally, they were all up and they left and they got them to helicopters, they got them to a boat and they got them home to safety. What changed things? What changed things? What changed the whole situation was one soldier got down and crawled into their world to become like them. And the captives were able to trust the rescue was real when one of the rescuers momentarily became like one of the captives. Donald Miller said, our decision to follow Jesus is a lot like the decision of those hostages. The decision they had to make is whether or not to follow their rescuers. We've got to make a choice. We've got to make a choice because the reality is we're being held captive in a world that's ruled by Satan. If you don't believe it, look around. Watch what's going on around us. In a world that's filled with brokenness. And we're all prisoners of our sin. It's our greatest problem. Our own rebellion against God. Jesus, the Son of God, came into the brokenness of our world to be the answer. But there's one more big question. Do you believe that Jesus can rescue you? 
no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, no matter how many times you've done it, no matter how many times you've done it over and over again, do you believe that Jesus can rescue you and therefore you can win? Are, are you willing to follow him to freedom? Are you, are you willing to accept his offer? That, that's the choice because Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the greatest events of history because sin is our greatest problem. So what are you going to do about it? I, I know there's parts of this that are almost unbelievable. It sounds too good to be true. It's like those prisoners laying there and what? They've sent somebody to get us. I don't know. I can't believe it's too good to be true. There's a lot of this you can't prove with facts and figures and charts, diagrams. That's why they call it faith. And we got to just choose to believe. Here's the deal, guys. For our biggest problem, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus crawled into our world and curled up next to us and said we could follow him if we wanted to. And if we followed him, he'd lead us to freedom. That bottom line we've been saying over and over again, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection are the greatest events in history because sin is our greatest problem. But you know what? I believe in a wonder-working God because of the miracles I've seen. And I keep seeing changed life, people doing things that, that, that years ago wouldn't have made sense, months ago wouldn't have made sense, yesterday might not have made sense to an unbelieving world. But God's changing lives. I believe. I believe that we... I believe we've already won if we put our faith in Jesus. So I'm asking you to do something. I'm, I'm going to make a bunch of requests here. First of all, stand up with me. Second of all, nobody leave. All right. This is the most important moment of this day. Because there may be somebody in this room who has had that moment of awakening like Darby did Friday night when she came up here and walked up to him and said, I got to do this. And like Vince and Darby just did this morning. Like another young man's going to do in the next service and another young man's going to do after second service today. And more people are already scheduled to do next week. And so you may be standing here today and know, I need to do this. I need to do this. Now, here, we got some plan for next week. Here's the problem with that. We got no guarantee of next week. We got no guarantee of an 11 o'clock service. We got a guarantee of this moment right now. That's what you've got. And if God's telling you something and you don't even fully understand it, here's the deal. Bobby's over there. Brett will be over there. Kim's down here. We got people on our staff and elders and wives that would love to explain this to you and walk you through it. And so while we sing this next song, it's all about why we believe what we believe because of the miracles we've seen. If you need to take that step, then do it. If you need to go pray, just go over by the cross. Sit and pray. Nobody will bother you. Just go there and pray. Or pray where you're. And if you're good, if you're good, I mean, you're really good, then act like you're really good. And let's worship right now. All right? Let's worship. Because I believe in a wonder-working God.
my own hands Just the mention of your name Can raise the dead And all the glory to the only one who can Jesus, it's you Jesus, it's you Oh, I believe in the wonder-working God got a gift for you out there but we got to leave here on the highest note possible we need to be reminded of just how much god loves us so listen to this worship with this song and then get out of here go love god love people watch him change the world let's worship one more time
here. Be blessed as you leave. Let's go love God. Love people. See him change the world. Amen.